and welcome to another episode of Three Wise DMs, the podcast where three dungeon masters have been doing this for way too long. Talk about all the things we do to try to make our games as good as they can be. I'm Thorne, and I'm joined by... Tony. The bats have left the bell tower. The victims have been bled. Red velvet lines the black box. Bella Lagos is dead. Bella Lagos is dead. Woo! Yes. DM Dave, the rock and roll DM, cranking out the Bauhaus, right? Bauhaus. Bauhaus. Sweet 80s goth. Before it got weird. <laughs> yeah, goth before it got emo. And then definitely before it got sparkly. Yeah, it definitely was. It was goth before Anne Rice began the transition to what ended up to be Twilight. While I love Anne Rice, she did help to create that transition. Sorry, everyone. That's just how it is. You know, I, I think I've said this before. I'll say it again. If the Twilight movies didn't have the love story, I think they would have been great movies. You I take know, I the sparkly take... part. I can't. I don't go in the sun because I, I'm I David think you gentlemen Bowie. are standing on some dangerous ground here. Yeah. You take Edward and Bella out. You leave the giant werewolves in. I think the werewolves are some of the coolest I've seen on TV. They were they were cool werewolves. Yeah, yeah definitely. Definitely. Yeah, I think but, you have I think you have the good basis of something there that isn't a love story. But it's no, I'm but sorry. You you're an apex predator. You can't go in the sun because it's your literally the only thing you have that can really hurt you, not because you turn into Ziggy Stardust. No, right. That's, sorry, it's just how it is. No Ziggy Star. I love David Bowie. Keep him in Bowie. He doesn't belong in Twilight. Uh, hold on. So you just said they turned into Ziggy Stardust. Does that make them cool again? I think we just went. I think we just went all the way around the curve. I mean, if you're if they're like David Bowie, how can they not be cool? They're like, okay, how about instead they're like that one uh, Martin Short character that used to be on SNL where he was like all in white and silver, whatever his name was. They turned into I don't that guy. That one. Anyway. Oh. Uh, but speaking of sparkly vampires that aren't nearly as tough as they look, we are here tonight to talk about the conclusion of Dave's epic campaign in Barovia, for we have just recently defeated our nemesis, Strahd. Dave, congratulations on completing the second campaign out of the Three Wise DMs run. There it is. Top champagne right there. That's it. Boom. Two campaigns Absolutely. done in three years or two years, two a year and a half, year and eight months. Well, this is our seventy fifth episode. We started the, I think we started that game before we actually launched the podcast. I believe. I want to say probably yeah. right before that, yeah, because we were translating over to virtual online anyway, and yeah. then that's kind of when we did this as well. We have skipped three weeks, so basically this is the seventy eighth week since we started podcasting. There you go. Uh, so to give you an idea of how long we were in Barovia for, so we've had two two campaigns completed. Tony with his with his express train through Storm King's Thunder. The tour the, of Italy. The, the tour the, of Italy. It, it was the tour of the Forgotten Realms. Yeah. That is our power train DM. That is the DM who gets your hot you get your hot dogs, get on the train, we're leaving for the next stop right now. Took about a year, year and a half to do Storm King's Thunder, right? Yeah, I think we wrapped that up in about a year and a half. Yeah. If we played it weekly, if we played it weekly, we would have been done in four months. That's fair. Well, That's fair. Well, 
You would have you would have you would have spread it out, as you've said. You we could have done that exploring Oregon Trail style. I'm, you know, traversing the wilderness, which everyone just craves. You know, like, let's stop. Dave's character's got dysentery. Like that just really puts you in the mood, right? I I Back feel like that was just what I was playing anyway as Roderick. But anyway, I was just Ironically, yeah. Roderick did have dysentery. I yeah. mean, to, to, to be yeah. fair. He had he had all all the things. But not to take the spotlight off of Curse of Strahd, because i got to say, that was a really fun campaign. I, I think he did a great job. Uh, there's a lot I want to get into with this tonight, a lot of we've all wanted to get into with this tonight. Yes. But I feel like for entertainment value and for a good time and for seeing a lot of Barovia and finally meeting meeting our nemesis and, and, and smashing him under our heels, <laughs> I thought it was a great campaign. I, I, I had a lot of fun. Definitely. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That was fantastic. Yeah, Tony, what do oh, you think? And thank you. I think there's really a solid uh, DM lesson and all this that Dave provided, which is that so Ravenloft is a serious, gothic, dark environment. And it was, you know, you could have pitched this like this was as serious as falling down the stairs. And instead, the elements of comedy all just started like you know, coming out of cracks <laughs> of the walls and flowing out. Next thing you know, you're up to your neck in water and, and bad jokes. And instead of being discouraged by that, Dave leaned into it and it became a self-generating engine of motivation for the campaign. Yeah. Did it become truly not serious? In a lot of ways, the Are characters weren't serious. I mean, now in, in the pre-recording, you said for like five seconds you thought this was going to be a, a, a serious campaign and you were going to run a Conan-type barbarian. At least five seconds, yes. Yeah, and then we hit Barovia and boom, you were tearing off your, okay. yellow, your yellow muscle shirt. So I remember Tony talking Reason about your mustache. that, where he had this idea that he was going to bring this Conan-style barbarian, right? which would have been really cool, right? But... He already had sent me a backstory of Hawk Morgan. Well, at that point, he was Harknar Hogan, I think, before we started the game. So this five seconds was in his own mind somewhere prior to us running the game. Where some of my best thoughts take place, yes. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, I would say, though, yeah, like it's very much it's completely the meme. It's the meme of. This is how you appear. This is what you think your party's going to look like. And it's the Lord of the Rings people. And this is what they are. And it's the Holy Grail Monty Python group, right? And they have a similar one for Strahd, where you have like uh, Gary Oldman's Dracula. And this is how Strahd's going to be. And this is how your players run it. And it's Leslie Nielsen in Dracula Dead and Loving It. Because that is, as much as you want to try to fight against it, that is going to be D&D. But with that said, I also I don't think it completely took away from some of the seriousness of what was happening in the campaign and the world. Yeah. You know, right. And, and I'd, I'd agree, because as much as we can talk about it becoming Leslie Nielsen's Dracula <laughs> Dead and Loving It. All right. Real quick. Is, I did watch Dracula Dead and Loving It like mid campaign <laughs> just to be like, I wonder if there's anything I can pull from this to assist with. So anyway, go. <laughs> Strahd never did like rise out of his coffin and hit his head on his own chandelier. Like that never happened. You Strahd, didn't see it. You, kept, you didn't you see kept, it. <laughs> you kept the bad guys pretty straight. Yeah. Despite Hulk Hogan <laughs> basically tearing around Ravenloft and defeating some of your toughest monsters with leg drops and power bombs. Phineas, who made it his job to simply troll Dracula throughout the entire campaign, 
literally. Like we went to the Wizard of Wines, we found their we found their label making press. And I'm like, great, we're gonna start yeah. pressing off pamphlets about how Strahd's losing it, about how he's no longer the Lord of Barovia. And that, like, I mean, just I, I, my character approached the entire game that way of just how can I get under Strahd's skin? Absolutely. And, and then once we got there, and we have Little One, who is Bonnie's like like gnomish chaos engine. Literally, yeah. Yeah. That's the the it was Artificer, but really the class was Chaos Engine. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I basically. I mean, literally, like especially with the Wanda Wonder, you know, bats and just whatever happened. Uh, that happened. was the that was literally the. So if you have your impulse players out there, people, give them level appropriate. Give them a Wand of Wonder and just let it let it just ride because it's one of the funnest things to watch. Because I really appreciate that when I'm in a really pitched battle and someone enlarges my target, that's fantastic. That's exactly <laughs> it really was though. It was fantastic. Yeah. Which did happen? Um, didn't that, didn't so, that happen with? Uh, who did that happen with? Did that happen with the with the werewolf you had to wrestle? No, it was the Amber Temple. It was the giant right. statue that the Arcanaloth was hiding in, and she hit it with bats, which was her code word for igniting the Wand of Wonder, and boom, it became this gigantic statue which he couldn't get to and then, and then she reduced it and then you know i'm gonna throw out one suggestion the one good thing watsy did in and no, i'm sorry tsr did in second edition with the original wild mage mm. the wild mage had an ability that let them take random artifacts like random magic items and they could control the outcome 50 percent of the time so if Love you it. gave a wand of wonder to a wild mage he had a 50% chance, or she in this case, had a 50% chance to cast any spell they knew using the using the Wand of Wonder. And then if they failed the throw, then hilarity ensued. So I had one of my one of my characters in Tony's game was a wild mage that had that. That was North Spellslinger or Spillslinger. And that was a lot of fun because I'm like, all right, is this going to be what I want or something chaotic? 50-50. You, yeah. And, and actually, as you went up in level, you could kind of you could you could hedge that a little more. Like you got like five percent increments to kind of turn it your way a little bit. Mm -hmm. But I thought that was like the best thing in the world. And yeah. like I feel like you know playing a playing an artificer or a wild mage and having to just use a totally random wand to wonder. Nah. Let's <laughs> play with it a little more. Go pick up that second edition mechanic. It was good. It's stuff. definitely yeah. I do I do like a level of of danger and uncertainty. But with that, so you have those three players who are kind of. I mean, I would say Phineas was a serious character overall, but you definitely played him in a trolling way. Uh, yes. But within the game, and then you had three players. So Shannon's character, the the wood elf rogue, who was who was straight rogue, you know, a serious yeah. character. You had Fenris the tiefling cleric that bonnie's mom was playing who was pretty much a very serious character had a really cool backstory that i started to tease certain things out on and then you had poor my poor brother chris who rolls into like oh my god we're gonna play Strahd, we're gonna do this dracula gothic horror van helsing and he brings this paladin with this tragic backstory and he's teamed up with hulk hogan and little and stuff and it was just yeah sir scar is one of those guys who reached a real level of notoriety later in his career. But looking back <laughs> on this, what I remember, that paladin running for his life, getting his ass handed to him by wolves. I think yes. that character still wakes up in the middle of the night screaming because wolves knocked him down and dragging him around in his nightmares. One of the That's earliest, yeah, one of the earliest points in Barovia when you guys were in the village of Barovia and the wolves attacked and he spent most of that battle like face planted in the dirt. Yeah, because yeah. level two and three are sometimes very uh, 
hard on players. Although to be fair, by level three, he had the he had the uh, Sun Sword in Ravenloft, which was just the ultimate broken item we could have possibly pulled. And yeah. Yeah. the way it pulled, we we've talked about it before, but basically we went, we got our reading. And it was literally like the reading for the Sun Sword was like, oh, that was like, we just passed that. That was just right. That was the last corner. Let's go yep. a block back, get our Sun Sword, and let's get going. And it worked out. That I think to some extent that also played into the perhaps lack of seriousness in the campaign because the players always had the upper hand once they had that sword. Well, the other characters really didn't have, many of them at least, didn't have an element of comedy built into their fabric. A little one did. But it's how they played their characters, where they're, you know, they're always going on about baby Walter at the most ridiculous times. <laughs> like, you know, uh, there's a, we're trapped in a building, it's on fire. But what if baby Walter's in here? Like, what? No, and, man. And, and our, our, our one cleric who didn't bring any healing spells to begin with. For uh, a good, like, for a good, like, Five, Seven six levels. levels. Five, six that. levels. And, then, and, and then Beth started to get a Beth started to get a better handle. But again, as we talked about, that's part of that new player. She's not necessarily a new player, but she's a bit newer in terms of going this far in a campaign. Yeah. Um and cleric is it's definitely uh not it's hard to play. Hard, it's not one of the hardest spellcasters to play, but it definitely has a lot of stuff to it. So well, the problem with Cleric is, aside from Healing World, well, Healing World makes it a much more appealing class, in my opinion. But aside from Healing World, you're constantly having to decide between do I support or do I get to go do the cool thing I wanted to do. And that's the thing, too. That's also partly what's cool. So you totally get that sense of the, you know, you choose Cleric like Beam, right, in the Woodstock Wanderers. I chose Cleric because I was like, I want to buff the party. I want to be able to heal people because we're going to be dying out there, right? I just know it, so I want to be able to do that. But, I'm here to help. Yeah, but you also have that ability to say, you know what? Clerics don't have to be heal bots. And if somebody wants to come in as the cleric that's like, yeah, no, I'm going to do this over here. I can heal. I'm just choosing not to today because I want to do other stuff. That's kind of an interesting way of playing on that character, right? Because it's the way that they choose to go with it, maybe. Is it because is it because I want to do other stuff or because you don't actually like the rest of your party members? Well, you know, I guess we'll just have to we'll have to wait and find out. I don't know if that'll come out later, you know. Sorry, Bob. Awesome. I'm, not, I'm not spending my last cure wounds on you. You you got yourself in trouble. You can get yourself out of that trouble. So Speaking of that real quick, though, because with the Sun Sword thing, so one of the biggest mechanics that is that they've taken from the original Ravenloft, and I'm guessing through all the editions, but they put it into the 5e edition with Curse of Strahd, is the Taraka deck reading, which is a really fun mechanic because it can sh take the adventure and completely change it every time because these artifacts, which are integral to the plot, are placed throughout Barovia, right? And I decided... Now, I ruled it out prior to so that when you guys got to Madame Ava's, you would have the Taraka deck and I wouldn't have to sit there and pull cards and then go through the book and figure out where the hell crap is. Right. So I did it prior to, but I did it random wherever it landed, it landed. And the Sun Sword landed right in that little graveyard thing, 100 yards south. Of the freaking uh, Vistani encampment. So it's what it is, right? It's what it is. The original version had fortune telling. So mm. it didn't, there was no, the, the items were in fixed positions. 
So that did not change. That was static in the original Ravenloft uh, mm. adventure. But you could find yourself in bo- with bonuses in different situations throughout the entirety of the adventure from the fortune telling. Mm. And as a person who did play a cleric within the last year or so, I got to say, uh, it gets pretty old when you do want to do something really cool because clerics have a whole arsenal of awesome stuff they can do. And then someone's like, help, medic. And it's like, are you paying me by the hour? Like, like what is going on right now? <laughs> Call me when you drop. When I see you drop, I'll be over there. Don't worry. You have three death saves to go through. <laughs> you're, you're okay. You're not dead yet. I don't want to hear it. So let's add some structure to this. Yeah. So Dave, we can get together. You're going to run a game. You have the session zero email chain of, okay, guys, what do you want to play? And we all pick Ravenloft. Right. Going into Ravenloft, what were you hoping to accomplish? Like, what did you want this to look like? Ah, uh, great question. Great question. Um, I wanted to, I was really into the idea of Curse of Strahd because I had already gotten the book and I read through it. I was actually thinking of running it. So Bonnie's friends, the girlfriends that were new to D&D, and they were talking about possibly getting together and running a game. I was like, oh, Strahd might be cool, gothic horror, romantic kind of feel, Bram Stoker's Dracula. I thought, okay, that might be a fun thing to play. So I'd read through it. And then when we made the jump to online and the Slaver's Bay group kind of fell apart as the other Woodstock group fell apart, um, we had the session zero and we had decided on Strahd. So as I've said on the cast many times, I wanted to just really see how the adventure ran. I wanted to run a 5e adventure, the full book, and see what it looked like. You know, not really play with it very much. And I didn't play with it until we were pretty heavily in. And then I started to tweak because, again, we were talking on the cast here. I was hearing feedback in the game. I was giving feedback to the game and things began to adjust. But I wanted to play I wanted to see, like, Thorne, you said it the one time. It's like seeing that classic movie that everyone yeah. talks about. Okay, I want to see the movie and make my own review, right? Yeah. Now, honestly, it's vastly different than the original material because the original material was a mid to high level module. Mm-hmm. And you would have your confrontation with Count Strahd. Certain events unfolded and so forth and so on. Acts. It was still structured. But it wasn't this vast campaign. Now, the box sets they later re- uh, released, you could go all around and do your whole, forget the tour, Italy, you're doing the real tour. Like you're going yeah. from Barovia <laughs> to Bloodspurt or uh, Blutspurt or all these other crazy different places. And now, actually, I have that, actually. And yeah. I have that box set, and Dave, you're welcome to borrow it if you want to use it. <laughs> and, it and it's good stuff, but Strahd is really. First of all, they don't put him in front of you like you have to confront him. He's there. He is kind of like the kingpin in Marvel. You may ne- you can run through all that and never even run into him. Yeah. If you're in different domains. And that's where I thought they did an interesting thing because, yeah, the original I-6, it literally was Ravenloft, Castle Ravenloft. They, you come to Barovia and there, there's the castle. Go in it and meet Strahd. Go to dinner. And throughout the uh, some of the iterations of the actual adventure, I, I remember looking at Expedition to Castle Ravenloft from 3rd Edition, 3.5, because I was actually thinking of throwing it into the Pathfinder campaign. I was kind of teasing out Strahd stuff even then. And uh, the 3.5 one was similar. You come into Barovia, and you're going to Ravenloft. The whole adventure is Ravenloft. So what they took with 5e 
which I liked was they opened up this world to make a full adventure if you wanted to do it. And they tried to play with a level of a sandbox without complete sandbox because they corral you in pretty heftily. It does feel like you're trapped in a valley. Kind of mm. like you can do whatever you want in this valley, but like it's not like the Skyrim world. It's more like Oblivion. Yeah. It's more like oh. the Oblivion world. It's smaller. It's tighter. Maybe yeah. it's more, more like Morrowind. You know. Well, I mean the 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 land you're in is a valley. You're literally between yeah. two giant mountain ranges. The end, and then mists. So yeah. Actually, I had a question for Dave on this. So you're you're when you're going to launch this and you're conceptualizing the campaign now. Strahd, as we've talked about, is literally, arguably, the most used archetype villain in D&D. Easily. Was was there concerns there? Kind of like, I mean, I could run a superhero movie and people could be like, yeah, that was pretty cool. But if you run Batman, pardon the pun, you're going to be under some very stiff scrutiny. Did you feel that was present? Right. If you want to run the Joker, right, you got to bring something heavy, right? Everybody's weighing in on that. Yeah, no, I agree. But I I was trusting that, well, trusting that, one, I'm interested in Dracula stuff, as most people from my generation are, right? We made a little joke about Anne Rice, and, or I made the joke about Anne Rice, but um, I'm going to join you guys in this, pill you into this joke that I made. <laughs> but, you know, I love all of that stuff. I love Bram Stoker's Dracula. I, I have loved that stuff since I was a kid. So you already have a sense of what your conception of Dracula or this vampire lord is. And then I kind of trusted the book to provide me anything past that. And I felt pretty I felt pretty comfortable with the way that I ran Strahd pretty much throughout the, the entire campaign. I have some things that I looked at with some of the final battle where I I was a little here or there, could have played some things a little bit differently, but we played it the way it went, and I thought it was appropriate for the cap to this adventure with this group. Sure, you sure you don't want to write an article about a bad day for the big vampire? Oh, man. You know <laughs> what? I could write an article where I have my CR-20 Strahd that I kind of uh, coddled, uh, coddled together from a bunch of different uh, looks of Strahd because that one in the book, man— does not fill the bill. Yeah, he's just not going to make it. Bill. And anyone who's run it says the same. It's people who haven't really run him against a, a real party. Uh, they're the ones who are like, oh, what do you mean? He has legendary actions and he can move real quick. Well, yeah. And. <laughs> and yeah, I get out of the way. Swamped. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, you know, no spoilers here. Well, I guess we're kind of a spoiler oh. here, but Arstrad died. When he was thirty foot up a stone column in the crypts under the Castle Ravensloft, and Hawk Hawk Morgan did in fact jump up, grab him by his foot, and slam him on the ground. Oh man! And uh, then so he when was I go counting. back, yeah, when I go back and I think about that point, while it's like one of those points as a DM, you're like, oh crap! Like the you know we always talk about the the character the NPC getting stunned and they're screwed and blah blah blah, but when I think about it cinematically. Right. I have Strahd on his horse over in the corner in the crypts, Bucephalus, this nightmare horse, and Strahd's riding on top, jumping in and out of the ethereal plane, just completely fucking with the party. And he jumps off of Bucephalus and goes to hide, runs up the wall because the, the sun sword is coming towards him. He, Hawk, runs over, jumps up upon the giant nightmare horse, 
jumps up, grabs Stroud, and power bombs him into the crypt floor. Like, that's so cinematically satisfying that, like, you have to be like, that's awesome. And Tony finally got to use his stun ability that he got at, with our wrestling rules that we got to put <laughs> together for this adventure, right? Now, context for that, that only would have worked because of the item I have that allows me to do magical damage with my wrestling moves. Yes. Otherwise, that would have that would have not flown. Yes. But that was be, the belt, right? Once the belt kind of came into its own, your wrestling moves now did magical damage. Y yes, but really, like by the time we reached, we, we got him on the board. His fate was sealed because yes, uh, Dave's brother had the Sun Sword, which is really the might as well be a Kryptonite sword. Oh my God. And that other sword. What is that? Double Kryptonite? Silver Song? <laughs> it's intense. It's pretty intense. And that's actually, that was a book item. Uh, the yeah. only thing I did was give it a name because I I think swords like that should have a name, right? Uh, but it, for anyone who's playing Strahd, uh, it's Vladimir Horngard's sword that he carries, his great sword, uh, which is a pretty baller sword, when you, especially if you're going against Strahd specifically. The one thing as we talk about it now, I realize is Bacephalus should have gotten an opportunity attack on Hawk when he jumped off him. Eh, yeah, I mean, you know, it just, there was it just also, came to mind now. Well, I also, I mean, did I jump out of his range? Not to get into some yeah, of the nitty gritty you, of thirty feet. I think you would have had of to. the final battle, but there was a point where I was seriously considering, and I went back to read the text because I didn't want to pull a dick DM move, but I also didn't want to just lose outright just cause, right? Like just lose the the NPC. But I was seriously considering having Bucephalus pull Strahd back into the ethereal by touching him. But it says in the text that it has to be a willing creature. And for me, a character who became stunned became a little less willing. So I made a call on the fly, but I also didn't want it to turn into this, okay, and he jumps back. So, you know, there comes a point where you have to be able to deliver the final blow. But anyway. Yeah, it's fair. So... I mean, with what you wanted to do when you came into this, yes. Do you feel like you accomplished it? Like, how do you feel like, like for your for your initial goals for how you wanted to play? Do you feel? How do you feel like it went? I loved this adventure. I really did. This adventure is what made me say, however many episodes ago, that I, my plan is to run every five E adventure that they have, every book <laughs> one, because it worked so well for my style. Because I had all of this stuff here, I could run it completely straight. Or, as I started to do about mid-campaign, start to doctor in things, start to shift stuff, start to play with it, start to place things in different ways. But it was all there for me in a way that was very, very accessible. And I, I thought it was a lot of fun. I thought every session, I don't think there was any sessions that really were just flat or dull. There were definitely ones that were better than others. But I didn't feel from on myself that there were any ones that were just dull or just like, eh, we could have gone without that one. I think you guys looked literally through every single – there's only one place in the entirety of Barovia that you guys hadn't gone yet. Turns out we didn't need that ra that Raven token anyway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's completely in the crypts. Just – I mean, we <laughs> can say it now because it's over. But it's in there somewhere. It It is in the crypts. It's in where you fight Strahd. And I was like, oh, man, that kind of sucks. But, hey, that's, again, I lost out on the Sun Sword because it put it 100 yards behind you right in the beginning of the game. But the other one's in the crypt. So, okay, that's where that's it is. That's true. 
Yeah, With that said, true. there are many times. The one thing I would have liked to have seen would have been to draw you guys into Castle Ravenloft at least once earlier to create a, an even bigger feeling of absolute dread like you kind of felt when you first, first, first entered in Perovia as low-level low level characters. If you enter that castle, which they try to say, like try to bring them in early once for like dinner or something, that can really create a sense of, oh, wow, because you guys would have died. I mean, everything in there would kill you. <laughs> Not at 11th level, but at third, fourth, fifth level. We would have died. Okay, so this does sound contradictory. This it seems difficult to complete the campaign had we died at fifth level in Castle Ravenloft. Well, I think there had to be a middle ground. There's ways in which to ways in which to ameliorate that. You know, <laughs> <laughs> from what I've heard, isn't doesn't the book basically say, look, if they take the invitation, it should be a trap or something? Like, does it just leave it up to the DM to fill it in? Oh uh, well, they do. They give you some ideas as to when the invitation can occur, and then it leaves it up to you. Which is one of the things I do like about this. There are several very key plot points that they completely leave up to the DM. They throw out some ideas in the different areas. Here are some events that could happen if you want to use them. Other than that, a lot is put onto you. One of the biggest that I actually had to research a lot because they leave it completely open are the megaliths, the standing stones, which yeah. I turned into this little kind of plot point that Phineas started to investigate because all they give you is this one little thing and a little blurb about it. And then you just take it and run with it. So what kind of changes did you make to this game? Did you, did you change? Uh, I mean, I guess we just kind of started touching on it there, but what kinds of things did you tweak to kind of really make it your own? Well, I definitely, I didn't tweak a lot of stuff necessarily within things that are accessible through the module itself. But what I did do was I started to tie in who you all were. So your backstories informed a lot of what I decided to uh, start to adjust a little bit. Two big things that I did, and I actually took it, I gave a shout out several times to this guy on YouTube, but Lunch Break Heroes does an amazing, amazing adaptations to Curse of Strahd. And he goes through every single chapter and breaks it out and makes it more interesting. The first was Death House. He's the one that turns it into Durst Manor and gives this history of the Durst family because when you read Death House itself, it's a little flat. It's just, yeah, there's these people here, you go in, the house is gonna kill you, good luck, right? Um, Try so, not to die. Yeah, the whole Durst thing, I thought really added a lot of flavor to it um, that gave you a lot of the tone that we were going for in the mod. The second thing that I changed up was with Argenvolstholt. I added the idea, this again was a Lunch Break Heroes thing. I kind of did my own spin on it. But the idea that the knight, the Revenant Knights there have quests that need to be completed to unlock the beacon, to be able to let Argenvolst's skull be, you know, light the beacon of protection in Oregon Bowles Toll and all of that that you guys did. So you added those? I added the quests in the in the sense that I made those knights have to complete these things that made you guys, you were already going there. You were already going to go right. to the Amber. Okay. okay. But when you have to go fortify Solanka Pass, oh, well, we got to do this because we have to do this. We have to do these fetch quests to unlock this thing. 
So what it did was allow you guys to go to some different areas, gave you more impetus for that. And also I thought fit into the idea of this order of knights. I, th- I thought that was cool, very Arthurian. I want to come back to an earlier point, if I could. W- would you have run this battle if it differently in this final confrontation with Strahd if it had been a story or a graphic novel? In terms of like if I was just writing it out. Like if this is playing out and Dave is directing this and someone's going to put this to art, how do you put this out there differently than it did? Or is it exactly like you had intended or, you know, did you want to keep it? Were you happily surprised? I don't know. I understand where you're going with it. I think it goes back to some of what we talk about when there's a difference between uh, stories, movies, novels and D&D RPGs. There has to be that level of the players. You set up the game. You throw the world out there and then they start to fuck with it, right? And you kind of have to go down with that. If I was writing this out, would it have happened exactly like that? Probably not. I probably would have had it where some of you would have started to take some of the negotiating, some of the the intimidation or the tempting that Strahd was offering. Um, I had started that early on in the game with Phineas's character, where I was doing uh, those side messages to Thorin about that Strahd was sending you messages through the sending spell saying, oh, Phineas, I'm really, you know, I'm look in essence looking for a replacement, looking for yeah. someone to take the throne and dangling this, you can be your own patron thing, you know? So I would have probably played with that. I would have played with the um, the vampires in Nosferatu attacking the towns because Strahd had pulled the nuclear option. And also I'm, I'm going to put this where it belongs. The nuclear option is Mike Shea. From the Sly Flourish, Lazy DM. That is his idea for a real hard negotiation lever. You and that is, <laughs> and just just to make sure all our listeners understand, yes. yeah, that is, you basically had Strahd. We hadn't seen much of Strahd for a couple sessions before we went into the castle. You told us that. You pointed that out to us. And then when we get into the castle, at some point, like as the negotiations, because Strahd's trying to negotiate with us to basically come on his side. And as the negotiations start to kind of go against Strahd, and we start, frankly, insulting him and, and saying, why would I want to be king of this shitberg? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you're at a shitty town, Strahd. You're, you suck. Why would I want to be on your team? Then he says, oh, well, what I've been doing my last few weeks is turning as many people as possible into these Nosferatu, and I'm sending them to kill everyone you ever helped in Slenka Pass, in... Milwaukee, yeah, yeah, all All the the towns have now been surrounded by these vampires, and at Strahd's command, they will annihilate Barovia. They'll pull the Matrix thing at the end, right, with the architect. Like, fine, (laughs) we'll just reset it, right? We can we can deal with it for a while, you know. Those souls will get reborn again anyway, eventually. That's fine. So yeah, in a story version, I probably would have played with that. I think in the end, Strahd has to die because that is. I mean, that's everything. Every Dracula died, every, right. But I would have definitely played up more of the uh, things that may have gone wrong for the party. And cinematically, for the in terms of the battle, anything? I thought, I thought that the battle, because we actually, so for the listeners, we kind of split it between, even though I said never do this, uh, but I did it for a very real good purpose. Um, the Halloween game where we had dinner with the devil, that was the first time that they really met Strahd full face and went to went to battle with him in the audience hall where the Taraka deck said that he was going to be, that they could find him. 
And I mean, that was, we had a full, that was in person. That was part of an in-person, yeah. in-costume dinner. That was a big night just before Halloween, basically. Absolutely. And it was awesome. And that battle was pitched because as we've said before, the party came in not fully fresh. So they were already a little bit at a disadvantage, but with a high level party like this of this magnitude, even a little unfresh is still pretty damn fresh, but it was a very pitched battle and I had Strahd escape so that it brought them deeper into the crypts. This last game, I decided I made the call that I was going to not make them travel through all of Castle Ravenloft, and I they they found their way to the crypts. Now they did that in a way that I wasn't expecting, because uh, I kind of forgot exactly where that room, uh, with the teleportation fire was located. And when you walked in it, I was like, oh my god, this is perfect. We'll take a coffee break. We'll come back. The battle's there. Right. So it kind of set itself up in a way, which was fun. Yeah. Which is we had basically taken some of the side steps and wound up walking over the teleportation traps that trapped us in these jails. And they're very close, basically, to to the crypt at that point. Yeah. And then you walk into the room with the. Right. Right. Braziers. The man's yeah, it's, it's, it's got the brazier. It's got the bra- <laughs> brazers, brazers, <laughs> but the brazers that allow teleportation to different areas in Barovia. And I made the call of not stranding one player in the Amber Temple while everyone else got to go and finish the adventure, too. So that was definitely a DM. Thank you. DM, that was a DM fiat thing. Now. <laughs> Going back, what I will say, if the entire party decided to enter into one of these areas and ended up in the coffin maker shop in Velaki, let's say, some of you would have gotten back, not all of you would, you know, because of the speed of the television. So that would have been different than one person just, you know, save or suck kind of thing. I think at that point we started all walking back to 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 to, to, to Castle Raven. <laughs> yeah, and then okay, guys, uh, travel montage. Yeah. Reset. We get to take a long rest at least, you know, <laughs> until these vampires attack. Yeah, that would have been awkward. Actually, I really do appreciate that you had story reasons not to make us go through every freaking room. Now back to the point with uh, the dinner with Strahd. When you're launching something like that. And I know you didn't have a chance to, Dave, but I'm sure you would have had this in your back pocket had you did this. You'd have to put forth an actual trackable reason why the the villain isn't going to snuff us all out like candles right there. Yeah, yeah. That's one of the nice things, too, that the the module, the adventure itself, gives thoughts about as to what is Strahd's purpose here. And his purpose initially is just to have playthings to play with. So throughout the adventure, I was peppering in that there were other adventurers that had come here. Even I had Escher, his vampire spawn that Matt played in the dinner episode. I had him be a former adventurer to create this, this idea that many people have come through here and they have not survived. So throughout the adventure, I peppered that. So he brings people in. They start to become more powerful. So why is he allowing this to happen, right? Another point is he's obviously after Arena. That is, uh, I like it. I also don't like it. 
Uh, you know, I played with it because it's so classic, but I think there's there's more things that you could do with that. Uh, the third thing he's doing is he's looking for a replacement. I like to play up the angle that he was tired of what this was because the curse of Strahd is his curse. He's stuck in Barovia. So, yeah, he's the king of all he surveys. And as uh, Thorin pointed out, it's a shitberg, right? So cool. Like you're great. Awesome. I'm I'm a slumlord. Right. Who has he, no he, purpose. He, he did a very bad job of being king of all he surveyed. He clearly exactly. hadn't dusted the cobwebs in like three centuries. He's not even taking care of his own bridge. Exactly. I mean, he's not a good king. Exactly. Exactly. Strahd so is a bad ruler. So it started to turn into this thing where and I kind of played into this during the dinner, too, where he was OK with you guys taking out some of his maybe uh, his underlings, but also maybe some of his competition someone like baba lysaga who was a pretty powerful witch and he wasn't quite sure he wanted to tangle with her kind of thing but hey these guys took care of her no problem oh maybe these guys would like to one either get the hell out of barovia and i'll let them go please don't let the door hit you take some gold and leave right like rose's uh shannon's character rose i said take your your tribe back Take them back. Live in peace. Go ahead. Please be my guest. So hold on. Hold on. He meant these things because I got to tell you, I approached most of these things as if Strahd were lying to us. Oh, yeah. No. See, that was that's unfortunately one of the drawbacks with a villain. Right. You don't trust. Well, yeah. He, he's kind of a little no, lies. Right. He totally, does his he was totally like, let the big let the bidding start. Let the, let the bidding start. The, the other thing I would say, like when you approached Phineas with the become Lord of Ravenloft, there is an angle in Phineas's backstory. So Phineas's character is Phineas was an ugly, good for nothing, drunk, layabout human. And Phineas's backstory is he was basically he had kind of gotten kicked out of town. He was out in the woods. He saw it was a beautiful piece of the woods, you know, kind of woke woke up drunk, basically. And hmm. he noticed a, he noticed a fairy walking by and disappearing through a fairy ring and he couldn't follow but he got obsessed so phineas winds up petitioning and begging to be allowed into the fairy court because it's something beautiful and his life is very ugly and he gets let in and when he gets let in he starts being a buffoon for the lord for the lord of revels for the for the thistledown man and in being the buffoon, the Lord of Revels eventually says he'll make you a deal. You'll, you'll be my agent and my jester, and I will give you the ability to be beautiful and be whatever you want to be. So he 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 transformed him into a changeling race-wise. And then Phineas's backstory is that he's basically a fey-packed warlock tied to the Lord of Revels, and he's a changeling, and he basically is an agent to the Lord to to this Lord, going out and basically ruining his enemies' lives. So. It's not that he wasn't entirely interested in becoming his own patron in some way, but given what he was seeing in Ravenloft, which from the beginning looked like a shitberg, it really did. You know, from the beginning, he's like, huh, yeah, so I can stay, I can stay being the, the, the fey packed warlock and agent of my beautiful lord who gave me the power to be beautiful myself, or I can be part of your ugly little shitty demiplane. And from Phineas's point of view, that was not much of a choice even then. Like, he doesn't value freedom as highly as he values beauty. So that's the thing with Phineas. So that's why Phineas wasn't interested in that to begin with. No, and it makes sense. But that was what was great because I 
all of you got all of you brought something where I could tie it directly into the adventure. So with Phineas, there were several points. One was the standing stone thing because yeah. of your whole point of your fey patron sending you out. But I was like, he wouldn't just send you out to just be like, oh, go. I don't like Strahd. Go take care of him. So there was something more there, you know, which you started to tease out over the adventure. You've clearly not read Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell. No. Because no. The, the, the Lord who I patterned him on would do exactly that. Do exactly that. All he re- it's he not saying that very, he, very, very, very. Yeah. Not saying that a Fae wouldn't do that because they're, they're just weird, right? But I, I like that there was more. I was able to yeah. tie Hawk into the whole idea of the Cavani tribe and the spirit of Cavan. You know, Chris <laughs> brought a paladin, which you can, can tie we, right into the Order of the Silver Dragon, you know? Can we talk about that a little more completely? Because, yeah. okay, so these are the changes you made, right? And you talked about coming in, how you had changed, how you did the Taraka deck. You talked about how you changed Strahd. You talked about how you kind of handled, kind of made some changes to, to, to add tension to the final battle. But yeah. these are ways you adapted this game to really pull your players into it more. Yeah. Can you go, like, specifically as far as, I mean, obviously we're not done everything, but can you, can you talk a little more specifically about what you did there and how you adapted what was in the book to what you wanted to do? In terms of with the characters and such. Yeah. Like, like, yeah. So, like I mean, there, there's, there's what, six characters? Like, I yeah. mean, what are the things you added in to tie this? Because I think that's useful to our listeners yeah. who, are, who are maybe are starting Ravenloft, you know, because it's going to give them ideas of how they can adjust it and how they can adapt it to their play group as well. So some of them I knew right off the bat because they literally were almost like written right in the book. They're staring right at you. Something like Sir Scar, he's a paladin. He's coming in. He is this character. So the idea of Allured Scar, Scar is like Jon Snow. It's the name that's given to him because he is has no last name, right? So he comes in. So I bring this idea of, oh, man, he's like he is a remain somehow of the order of the silver dragon and ties in this whole idea of Argonvolst and how it's related with Torag, his God now, and all of this. So I built that out and then I took it. And since the Taraka decided that Sir Godfrey, the revenant knight of Argonvolst is your ally, I was yeah. like, oh, and it's also his brother, you know? I, I would have liked to have been able to play that up more or have that be a little bit of a bigger thing. But, you know, you never know how certain things will land. Uh, with Phineas, you brought me somebody who was like I did with Beam or with Roderick in the Storm Giants campaign, where you said, I have somebody who's coming directly for Strahd. So have at it, you know. <laughs> But then I had this whole standing stone thing, and then that built out into some of why is the miser of Glen Bogle, as I had Strahd start to call him, why is this fey patron so interested in Strahd and Barovia, in this dread demiplane? And I was like, ooh, and I built out this whole thing of these standing stones, which we'll see in our upcoming Christmas game, we'll maybe have some additional play we'll see interesting so you yeah. made the standing stones i mean without without spoiling anything to me yeah they're in some way tied to why you can't leave ravenloft and in some way tied to the mist right i mean it's yeah you made them key to that in a way yeah. where getting out seems like we need to do figure out something with the stand yeah yeah i built like this whole mythology like 
beyond that and then bringing in uh, other other big bands within the the valley of barovia so it's the, this, the night mother and the morning lord and it yeah, ties them all together like, and druids book that stuff is in the book and they give you that there are these four cities and jeremy crawford himself says we put it in there like that so that it would make you develop something uh which i really dug i thought that was fun <laughs> so there's a whole thing that like are we sure Jeremy Crawford isn't the lazy dungeon master? It's possible. It's about, here, I wrote this. Do something with it. So that might, if we decide to, that will open up the next level of play, as we've talked about. With Hawk, he brought me Hulk Hogan, right? I didn't mind it. And we played with it, and it was fun. And we've talked at length about how that worked. But it also worked that I could tie him into this idea of this barbarian tribe I definitely enhanced some of what was happening with the Cavani and the tribe and this ancient warrior and all. I played that up more so that Hawk would have a I'm I'm becoming the heir to this person. That's why I've been drawn here um, with Rose Shannon's character, the rogue. I tied her into the Dusk Elves, the yeah. Dusk Elves that are hanging out with the Vistani are her tribe that she thought were massacred by this fae patron, as I revealed with Madame Ava. But what really happened was, I don't know if you guys tied it together with how I explained it, but... Phineas knows nothing about this. Chasm. Never admit to no, anything but about I, this. As we said, Rah I have made Rahadine and Casimir both former agents for the man with the thistle-down hair. They both were here, and now they're still here. And he kept saying, and now he sent his next one. And that's one of the reasons he thought he could turn you, because he's turned two already, at least, that you know of, right? Matt did, okay, I, I didn't, I picked up something about that, but I didn't pick it up as strongly yeah. as I wish I had. Yeah. yeah. And it's, you know, people, players pick up what they pick up, right? Um, so Rose was with the Dusk Elves, so it allowed for the Dusk Elves to have some level of why the hell are they here? Because they don't give you a lot as to why they're here. And Fenris gave me something. So I tied Fenris in. Her whole backstory was that her god was Osiris and this whole Egyptian thing. And I said, okay, Curse of Strahd is you get to play with the universal monsters because you got Dracula, you got the Wolfman. If you go to the Abbey of St. Markovia in Kresge, you have Frankenstein. What am I missing? The mummy. Guess what? The Amber Temple is a pyramid now, and there's a mummy lord. In it. <laughs> so that I changed. I definitely, as I said, I added a mummy lord and all that in there, hieroglyphics. But that tied her he into was, he, it. He was a, the mummy lord was a tough out. He was definitely a tough out. Uh, that was one where I wondered if I went a little too far. And then I realized, oh, yeah, no, I could just open up all channels all the time. All the time. And then with Little One, Little One was funny because Bonnie didn't give me a ton of backstory, but she gave me a character that was amazing. Like just an amazing characterization that had that didn't care about anything except curiousness, wonderment, and being fun, right? So I didn't have to tie her into the story, but what I did was I played a little bit with the idea of hiring the party. So she sent out, I gave her the beginning of Death House, where she meets Rose yeah. and, and Thorin, or Thorn, not Thorin, Thorn and Rose, which is funny because Rose in the game. And anyway, 
Um, <laughs> it's a little confusing because weren't those like the name of the children or something? Those are the names of the children. Yeah, yeah. Rosie. Kind of uh, eerie, really. Right. Kind of weird. <laughs> now I think about it. But she gets to kind of meet them. I gave her a text that said, "Okay, this is what you find. You get caught in the mists. You come to Durst Manor. You get you come back out, and they've told you they have a monster. So you have to get the party together." And she sent out the initial, hey, come meet me at the Crest and Crown in Fallcrest. You know, I, I need help. And that's what brought the party together for the very first session. So I didn't have a lot in terms of what is she doing in Barovia other than she wants to just be there because she's curious. You know? And and it gave you a chance to pull the party together. So you kind of, yes. even from the death house, you're, you're adapting this thing to tie directly to your party and to hook your party. You're not just relying on, hey, there's a death house over there. Who wants to go visit the death house? I also changed, level. yeah, I changed death house to one with Durst Manor, but two, death house in the book is just in the village of Barovia. It's one of the houses. And somehow you're supposed to just enter this house as a party when you get into the village of Barovia. What I'd made it was a portal through the mists. So it in essence was the entryway into the mists. And that's what yeah. what brought you through into Barovia and then you were stuck. Yeah, well once once we were in the death house, you had us. You had us hook, that was hook, it. hook line and sink. We're it. going we're going to Barovia. And it was so hard to get you there when you guys came and said, Okay, we're ready to go on an adventure. You know, it wasn't a mystery <laughs> it wasn't a mystery cave uh situation like Tony. No. I heard something about missing kids, so like you yeah, know, we were all on board. Exactly right. Yeah, and we all agree we will st we will stop to save the children. Everyone Phineas killed, he did in the name of for the children. Yes, yes, I think that that was absolutely actually true. Yeah, you guys constantly were just saving. That's why I noticed in Strahd, right? People have talked about it, but literally every issue comes down to someone is like torturing or kidnapping or eating children. And it starts right off the bat, right? And it doesn't end. It just keeps going, like, to the end. It's just, oh, yeah, kids. They're, everyone hates kids here. It, 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 it's very manipulative. I'm, I'm surprised they didn't, you know, they, did, they hit the children angle. I'm surprised they didn't have someone kill a dog. That's the only thing you can do to piss people off more against your villain is have them kill a dog in cold blood. <laughs> Dogs, children, they hit the children thing again and again and again and again. You're like, well, hey, I guess we got to kill them, you know? You know, it's like, are you a murder hobo or are you saving the children? I think we were saving the children. Absolutely. Murder hobos for the children. So upon so, reflection, any uh, key story parts that you expected to go differently than they did? Key story parts in terms of, like... Any points where, like, for example, Amber Temple. Yeah. The whole party succumbed to temptation. That was surprising. That's the such a loaded term. Succumb to temptation. <laughs> that is such a loaded way to talk about that. We to seize the opportunity is what Phineas would say. That, was, no, that was a, that, a I, that I that I did not see coming whatsoever. I thought that some of you would accept some of them, but most of you wouldn't. When every single party member decided to make a pact with the dark powers. That surprised me. When it then turned out, as we've talked about it's previously, when Hawk and Scar both, who, as we, as I've said before, good or bad, they were definitely some of the focus characters at points in the story. Certain of the of the areas of plot really developed their characters. So 
that they both failed their roles and started to shift alignments. That blew my mind. And as I said in previous episodes where we talked about redemption arcs, that was nothing but gold because that gave that gave tons of story following. Um, the dark power thing, though, for anyone who's running it, just be careful with it because some of them it's some of them are really harsh. Like they all give you kind of good stuff, but some of them are like overly harsh for what you get. And then some people like Phineas, like all he had was like he talked in a whisper, right? Like, ooh, that sucks. But now I have a 22 charisma. Yeah, so, so the 22 charisma. So it's still, it's still. A, yeah, it's still very persuasive, regardless of the volume of your voice. So. Yeah, it, it was very much. It, it was. It was very much an ASMR type whisper. Meanwhile, Fenris has walking around like a looking like a damn zombie, <laughs> right? Like that's so harsh, man. That's harsh. Like he fell asleep at the beach for three days straight. Yeah, exactly. So that's a good point, though. Anything else where you think we kind of really kind of went off script from what you thought we were going to do? Not at all. I thought that everything. Man, went... we were predictable. No, no. It mm. went it went well. And we were playing off of each other. I thought as a as a DM running the adventure, everything that you guys were doing, we're doing nothing but informing. OK, how do I start to what do I push at them in this next town or in this next part of the adventure so it was it was great in the interplay between us so anytime i was planning the next session i had nothing but ideas coming forth and additional plot points and additional lore about the world so a lot of these things the idea of hawk and the cavani that developed over time you know the argon volst thing and Torag that developed over time the standing stones developed over time the dusk elf connection developed over time um the only thing that really didn't develop too much was again little one's character because the things that i threw out weren't getting picked up right because the one thing she did focus so much on was blinsky right which is and baby walter and baby walter that was definitely more fenris though beth's character was very much about baby walter um and that i'm gonna play that thing if we continue on past like we've talked about i'm gonna play that to level 20 so strap in baby walter right into avernus strap strap in because i have built out the reasoning for baby walter to a to a tony level degree i feel like (laughs) that's the curse of hawk tony is going to be uh he'll be amazed at the level of lore that i have shoehorned into this fucking thing (laughs) to explain why one kid has to be saved, you know? It's a start at creation and then move forward to now. In the first age. The... Hey, just to make sure everyone's clear, Baby Walter is the baby in the death house. In death house. Who is actually at the center of the uh, of the corpse elemental or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. He has essence been turned into... I feel... I don't think that that's actually book material. I think you that's think a lot... I think that's a lunch break hero thing where he says put Walter into the the mound, and that's kind of like the what they use to sacrifice to create this terrible entity thing. Which is, let me just say, dark, yo. That is that is dark it's, for first they, level. That is they very dark. Not, yeah, they start you off right off the bat, like, oh hey guys, get ready. So anyone out there doing any of like the checklists beforehand or like checking in with players about like what's okay and what's not, like, oh they, yeah. 
don't run Curse of Strahd because you're going to have to whitewash this fucking thing. Well, every page is going to have to be whitewashed. Very specifically, and actually, that's a great point that we it haven't really talked about though. at all. Yeah. Very specifically, if you have any players with triggers around child abuse, de- you know, de- de- child, childhood, yeah. childhood, you know, unfortunately, childhood deaths, yeah. infant deaths, all these things come up in, in Barovia. So if you have a player where that's going to trigger them, yeah, you probably want to talk it out ahead of time because that is the one thing about this that gets a little over the line, I think. You know, we in our group, for whatever reason, didn't react that strongly to it, but I could see that for the wrong group, for the wrong player being very traumatic. So well, just yeah. need to keep that in mind. You guys you guys definitely rolled with it, but I will say you guys definitely took those those hints as well and went after it like, oh, yeah, no, this isn't okay. So we're going to kill these people. Well, look, you see the way Phineas sees it. There's nothing uglier than hurting children. <laughs> children are beautiful. Hurting children. Right. Are but this everyone, every single one of you went, okay, no, this is our. So you made the, like you, you were kind of making the joke about it, like, we're just here to save the children. Literally that was it, man. Right. Cause yeah. every chapter there's kids being endangered. One funny thing. And then Tony will make you point. The one thing that I see. Literally every single party that runs Curse of Strahd does, every single party, as I read posts, they burn down Old Bone Grinder. They burn down the fucking windmill to the yeah. point where some of the guys like, you know, that new guy that's out there, Benio's Battle Maps, and he does those really 3D versions of all yeah. the Strahd stuff. He has a map where Bone Grinder is on fire because he knows people are going to need to use it because they're going to set it on fire. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, continue. Just an interesting point of how we all come to the same uh, conclusion. Even if characters have all kinds of diverse outlooks on life, they've got to have some redeeming qualities to them so you can get behind them. And they got to have some lines that, you know, you can't cross these lines. And, you know, you have to be pretty – it's really hard to back a character. Like, you know what? Yes, those hags are eating kids. I don't really give a rat's snot about that. Yeah. Even Doctor Doom cares about the children in his kingdom. In Laveria. In Laveria. Yes, he yes. does. Yes, that is canon. Even Doctor Doom 100%. makes sure that children get a good night's sleep and have a chance to do well at school in 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 Latveria. Even Doctor Doom. You can't be worse than Doctor Doom. I don't think. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think that that's. And if you good are, enough. you're buying that's real estate in Ravenloft. That's a good that's true. If you are, you're in the right place. I mean. Yeah, I, I shiver to see the party that comes in the Ravenswolf. It's like, hey, I want to get into this dream cake economy. That looks like a booming business. All right, what do you need? I got I got 15 orphans here lined up. Yeah, seriously, right? Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, forget child labor. Yeah. So, all right, guys, you know, we could go on about this literally all night, and at times we have. So we, at some point, we do have to cut the episode. So after a solid hour of talking about Dave's really pretty excellent Curse of Strahd game, let's get to some final thoughts. And actually, and just to switch this up, how about Tony, you go, then I'll go, then Dave, you can have final words since you're. <gasps> do I get to do the sign off too? No, if I'm, you not want gonna, to. I'm not doing the sign off. No, okay. I'm You'll get the last final word. <laughs> Tony. So Dave really was very true to the source material on this. And one of the things which is wonderful and especially challenging about it was the low magic environment. If you're going to run a horror-style, dark adventure where these adversaries are truly threatening, then 
magic. You can't do it in my style of game where you could just act like, oh, God, these these vampire trolls are coming after us. Well, I'm going to go to the magic item uh, store in the sky and I'm going to go to the sky ball and buy something to handle this. That's not the way it's going to play out. We I honestly I, I didn't get a magic weapon in that game until level eight and it worked going back on it. I wouldn't have changed it because that's not what the game was about. It wasn't about collecting gold, although I do have about 6,000 platinum pieces jammed in my hand or a haver sack right now, which I'll be <laughs> cashing on at the end. Was... Uh, it, it'll eventually will come up and I'll be like jackpot psh, dumping that out. But it really all as a whole fit together very nicely and he didn't come down and try to rein in any of the character concepts and it allowed us to kind of drive it but also the story investment was there too it was really an excellent mesh yeah no i really got to agree i mean you talked about you know you didn't feel like we had any really slow games and i got to agree with that pretty much all the games you know my memory of them at least at this point after a year and a half of playing <laughs> is really is, is really pretty positive i mean there were some games you get some bad dice rolls they get you on the wrong foot but you know it was it was fun the whole way through we did a lot of cool stuff and i will second what tony said you know you really let the players play the characters they came to play in that interaction of the characters we came to play which were mostly fairly build out you know we brought we brought some pretty good stuff to the game in the interplay with that with barovia with castle ravenloft and the way you played the world really made this a cool adventure so i think that's you know the you know the, the tweaks you made were excellent you know we didn't number one we didn't identify half of them half the stuff you told us were that that you added we didn't know if you hadn't told us so it felt natural mm. but they also all built engagement and involvement you know we've had recently two articles on the website and a podcast about, you know, getting players involved at the table, the way you tied in things to player backstories, to player interest, even just what players were thinking about right that moment, kept everyone really engaged with the story. And I think that was a real accomplishment, especially with six people at the table, some people being a little like like a little less role play than other than other people, some people being newer than other people. You know, this was kind of a challenging group if you think about it, but it never really showed. You know, everyone was into it. Everyone had a good time. And in the end, we all felt great accomplishment at smashing Strahd. <laughs> <laughs> I think we all feel like we made Barovia a better place until you ruin that for us somehow. We'll see what comes up here. You know, it's uh, yeah, I don't know how, I don't know what you got planned next, but that's it. You know, that's <laughs> that, those are my final thoughts. Really good campaign, had a lot of fun. This is the first time I've gone through Castle Ravenloft, so that to me was also really cool. So it's the first time I got to fight Strahd, and yeah, had a blast, man. Great job. Awesome. Thank you. I really, really, really loved the adventure. I think it is absolutely lives up to its reputation to run. So I would highly recommend people running it. Does it have certain things that are a little clunky? Yes. Do some things make no sense? Like where you have literally two different liches are supposed to be happening there's there's one lich over on the wizard's tower that was there, but now there's also one in the Amber Temple for no reason. You know, there are points where it feels as if, you know, the people who are writing it never talk to each other, like literally at all. Right. So it, but, just point out, isn't yeah. each lich tougher than Strahd by the book? Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. Like a lich is CR 20. Strahd in the book is a CR 15. Right. So, OK, cool. That's, why is he still around? And he's also killed Argonvals. But OK. Um, but no, with all that, there are clunky parts, but as a whole, this adventure is really fun. 
And I think it's actually really good for any DM, whether they're newer or more advanced, because it allows you a level of, quote, sandbox while still controlling the flow of play. They're, you know, the players are still there for a reason. Magic, like Tony said, I played that very much by the book until about mid-level because I was listening to my players and they kept saying, I, Tony several times said, my kingdom, my kingdom, my kingdom for a magic weapon. Um, <laughs> but it built up that level of, like he said, that tr- tension and dread and it fit into the story because why would there be magic in this world? Strahd would just squash it, right? But then the Christmas game happened and all bets were off. So there you go. Character concepts, I think, is one of the biggest things. You can't stop people from playing what they want to play because what they want to play is what they're going to be engaged with. And that's going to give you tons of story. Like we talked, we've talked a lot over the podcast up to this point, but tonight we talked about it even more about how much it invested into the story and how I could tie them in. Even with a character like the foe Hulk Hogan, as crazy as that sounds, the character felt real in the campaign he felt serious even at times i mean it was funny and it was inside joke but it was kind of serious too so anyway but i loved it i learned a ton by running it this was a phenomenal group it's one of the reasons i want to continue this group on past curse of strahd uh so that they are now the heroes of barovia or whatever the hell they're going to call themselves so yeah heroes of the mist is that taken Ooh, that's nice. I like that. I like Strahd's yeah. Bane, personally. Ooh, man. I mean, you guys or, are going to just have to start, you know, next campfire. You just talk about it, you know? <laughs> next talk about it. Um, Yeah, I loved it, though. I would seriously get it, run it. It's a lot of fun. I don't know what else to say about it. Why? Well, hey, those are some good final thoughts. Got, and, Dave, and Bella Lugosi's dead. You know, there it is. Well, he is now. Now, now that now that Hawk Morgan ripped him off that tower and slammed him into the ground, and then and then Rose hit him for seventy five points with a crit, you know, sneak attack. Yeah, he's dead now. And then, so just to put a nice little cap on it, we started this whole podcast with Tony talking about Kota Monk's stun Unicron and how that really screws up the big boss and all this kind of stuff. And a year and a half later, he stuns Strahd with a power bomb off the top rope. You know, I mean, that's, that's written in the stars is what that and to is. To be fair, to be fair, it did, it did, it did, it did kill Strahd. No, no. The, uh, yeah, the other, uh, 60 million points of fucking damage that this, Arrow and Sunsword did really finish the job for it. (laughs) He never woke up from that stun. He never (laughs) shook that off, which is, I think, Tony's whole point here. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Dave, I had a great time playing with you. Tony, great time playing with you here, too, and the whole group. Thank you guys so much for for putting together this game and, you know, just saw everyone coming and really, really committing to it and really having a really cool adventure. Good stuff, Dave. Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah, this was really, really, really a lot of fun. And it was a great, great group. And thank you all for listening to us go on about our campaign. This has been another episode of Three Wise DMs. Uh, if you like what you're hearing, please smash the five-star rating button in your podcast platform of choice. Leave us a good review. Tell your friends. If you want to hear us answer your questions, because most of our episodes really do answer listener questions and try to give you advice on what things you're having trouble with in your game, you can send us an email at threewisedm to gmail.com. You can enter it into the What's Your Problem field on our website, threewisedms.com, or you can send it to us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. We're active on all those platforms, and we're always looking for new material, and we really just love helping DM 
GMs solve their problems. Like here, Dave went through a whole bunch of different ways. He made Strahd, Curse of Strahd, frankly, a better game. He made this game, and you know, like we say in the beginning, we're talking about how do we make our games as good as they can be, and that's really what Dave did with Curse of Strahd here. So if you want that kind of advice on your game, please tell us what you want to hear about. We'd love to cover it. That's it for this week. We'll see you next time on Three Wise DMs. Thank you.